Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to the Kingdom Community Show. My name is Glenn Blakeney. My guest today is Dana Candler. She's a speaker and a Bible teacher at the International House of Prayer, and she and her husband have worked very closely with Mike Bickle from the founding of IHOP. In this interview, I sit down with Dana and talk about her new book, First Love, Keeping Your Passion for Jesus in a World Growing Cold. This is an awesome interview. Bless you. Hey, Dana, welcome to Kingdom Community TV, and I am so honored that you have joined us today. So why don't you just start off by telling our audience, who is Dana Candler, and what is your calling, your contribution in God's kingdom? Well, it's a joy to be with you. I would say, who is Dana Candler? I mean, I'm a lover of Jesus, the one who loved me first, um, my contribution, um, you know, at the heart of it all is to love him, to be loved by him, and then to impart that love. And so I would say the first commandment is primary passion for Jesus, intimacy with God. And, you know, in my heart, uh, probably my favorite title would be friend of the bridegroom. At least that's what my heart's desire would be to, to be one who is a friend of God. And, um, in terms of what I do, uh, my husband, Matt, and I have been a part of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for the last 23 years. Wow. We got, we met and got married in a whirlwind and landed yeah. at the House of Prayer the same week that IHOP went 24-7. Wow. So for all these years, um, 24 hours a day at any given time, day or night, 2 a.m., you can walk into a little room and there are singers and musicians lifting up the name of Jesus, worshiping, adoring, and agreeing with him in intercession, crying out for the promises of God, for the desires of the Lord's heart in agreement and prayer. That's our joy. That's our delight. We do other things, um, serving and teaching and as prayer prayer directors at our university, um, among other things. But that's a little bit of who I am. Wow, that's so good. Wow, thank you for sharing. So this is a question I love to ask people. It's like, who has left a significant impact on your life? You know, someone that was really instrumental in developing you and seeing you become the person that God uh, has made you to be today. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm torn between two fathers, really, two friends and fathers, um, of course, my my father, my dad, Hal Perkins, um, I, I often say that his tears led me to Jesus. When I saw real tears about the man Christ Jesus out of friendship and love as a kid, all growing up, we'd go out every Thursday night on our little date. And to see my dad's tears for Jesus made Jesus a real person to me. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that, I'm, I'm cheating. I'm pulling in two people. But Mike Bickle... Um, who he is to me. I can't separate who I am in the Lord uh, from Mike Bickle and who he's been in terms of as, as a young 20 year old, you know, beckoning us to the pursuit of the knowledge of God to give our 
to give our strength, to give our lives into knowing him and to loving him. And so those two, I'd have to say two. I'm, I'm cheating, I know, but it would be those two. Oh, that's good. No, great. Yeah, hey, equally important, and we totally get it. Wow, that's awesome. Well, Dana, we want to talk about your book. It's called First Love, Keeping Passion for Jesus in a World Growing Cold. So what yes. motivated you to write this book? Well, you know, it, I didn't sit down to write a book. Um, it came out of real journal entries, real pain um, over a process of a few years um, where after kind of the Lord awakening my heart to the first commandment, to giving myself to love him with all that I am and to having that be the dream of my life. And truly, you know, when the Lord does that, um, what happens over time is it actually becomes our dream to know him, to love him. And, and so I found myself in a time where I knew that Jesus's words in Revelation 2, where he's speaking to the church of Ephesus and he's saying, this I have against you, you've left your first love, this, this rebuke. I knew that there was parts of my heart, my life, that if I were honest, when I think about what encapsulates first love, those, those attributes of childlike trust, full givenness, wholeheartedness, you know, that desire that's full, fully open without hindrance, all the qualities of first love. I knew that something was broken. Something had had stopped working and and I was brokenhearted about it, truthfully. Brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. And um I remember just saying to the Lord, I, I don't know what went wrong. Mm-hmm. It's all I ever wanted to do was to love you with all my heart. And I and honestly, I've I've sought to to keep, you know, the the Proverbs speak of, of that interior garden of the heart and keeping it and guarding it with all diligence for out of it flows the wellspring of life. And I felt like I'd, I'd done that. And still, I, I didn't know what happened, but I knew that I couldn't look at my heart and life in that moment and say, yes, I'm carrying those first love qualities with all the fervency and all the open-heartedness and, you know, without any sense of drawing back and any doubt and all of the things that keep us from first love. So anyway, it was, it was conversations with Jesus in the aftermath of, of that kind of confrontation where we, we let the word of God speak over us. Mm -hmm. And, and then my own mourning, you know, Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount about, about spiritual mourning. And sometimes we mourn over the gaps when the word of God speaks about where the Lord's calling us to. And then we see our own heart and life and we go, there's a gap and we, yeah. we mourn over the gap. So I was in that place of, of mourning and asking the Lord um, to restore it. And, and so this book was a process of a few years. I mean, different ways in which the Lord did just that. And I wrote it chapter by chapter as I lived it. And so um, I didn't know what the Lord would do, but I look back now, every time I think about it, I just grow tender because I can say he did it. (laughs) He did it. He caused 
that first love burning to be restored. Mm. But not just it's not just a restoration to something that once was, because we know when the Lord brings us through something, through a testing, through a trial, and, and then he restores us, we're actually stronger in love, stronger in trust. We have that, that um, history with him that is actually greater than what it was before. And so I just have gratitude. I have gratitude about what the Lord did, and I have faith and expectation for each one of us. Mm-hmm. Any areas where we have those gaps, the Lord is so jealous. You know, I like, I like to use the the, the phrase, he never starts a fire and walks away. Mm-hmm. Jesus is jealous over that fire he started in us. And so as we partner with him and with that jealousy, he restores. And for some of us, maybe we've not known that first love. He ignites it. And yeah. so that's his jealousy to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, in Revelation 2, when Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus and he commends them, they did many things well, but nevertheless, I have this against you. You know, you've forsaken, you've left, you've fallen from your first love. And there you were active doing ministry, you know, loving Jesus. But yet there's still this conviction that you had fallen from your first love. So what does first love look like when it has been restored in the life of you know the the disciple of Christ? Well, first I'll start with a little bit. I said it a little bit, but what first love looks like. We know yeah. it intuitively. You know, we know it in our relationships with one another, which Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 are to be the picture. The marriage specifically is the picture of our relationship with Christ as the church, as in our identity as the bride. And so those first love qualities, it's that open-hearted trust. It's desire in full measure without hindrance it's full passion sacrifice when when first love is in motion there's no such thing as sacrifice meaning we don't count Uh, it costly we uh for joy give everything Uh, we're we're moved by love and so when it's restored i believe it not only carries those qualities but again, it, it has that history of having been tested and refined and brought through um, the, the trial that actually has strengthened it. And so I believe a, a first love that's restored is something stronger and more mature than it was even in the beginning. Wow. Um, and Jesus is so, again, jealous to do that. Yeah, that's really powerful because... You know, we tend to think that our relationship with the Lord, just like, for example, a marriage relationship, well, after a while, you know, it's just going to wane, it's going to decrease. Right. Uh, in actuality, right. that's not the way of the Lord. That's not his desire at all, is it? That's right. And, you know, we don't even realize that we think that. <laughs> we just, it's it's it seems like, well, this happened and this happened. And this happened. And so I really have every legitimate reason to have drawn back or to have some, you know, more carefulness or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And and the word of God kind of confronts that. And I, I remember the Lord, you know, kind of coming to me 
just in that place of prayer and, and speaking, do you think I've changed? Wow. No, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I have not changed. You've changed. I have not drawn back in the slightest degree. My jealousy has not waned. My desire has not waned. The things you discovered in the beginning, I have not changed. Will you come back? Will you open your heart again? Will you trust again? Will you believe again? Will you receive again? And so the word of God actually is the opposite trajectory. Instead of like a decline, it's a love that abounds still more and more. Yeah. It is a fervency that grows so strong that in the at the end of the biblical storyline, at the end of the age, we have a bride in first love. She's mature. It's the it's the body of Christ from every tongue and tribe together in unity with the Holy Spirit and with one another crying, come, Lord Jesus, come. Revelation 22, 17. Mm. That's first love in maturity. And so it's not a decline biblically. It's, it's, a, it's a steady growth into full passion, full desire, full trust, full givenness. And so we have to kind of let the word of God confront us and convince us, this is my story. Yeah. And therefore, I'm going to insert myself into the grace of God to take me into that increasing fervency and full passion. Yeah. Wow. So powerful. Well, you've just deconstructed a lot of myths and uh, debunked a myth that, you know, hey, after a while, it just isn't the same, you yeah. know. Uh, I remember when I first got saved, I actually had a situation where I was really zealous, very on fire. You know, we talk about zeal and really not the knowledge that I needed, but I'd rather have zeal without knowledge and knowledge without zeal any day. Yes. And uh, I, I remember um, one of the leaders in this church that I attended, they said, you know what, you'll you'll uh, calm down after a while, you'll mm -hmm. mature and you'll, you know, you'll basically not have that zeal or that passion and you'll just kind of grow out of that. And you know, like it was a negative thing, but, mm -hmm. you know, unfortunately we go through these seasons in our life, you know, we have pushback from the world and different things happening. And you mentioned Proverbs thirteen twelve, which talks about hope deferred, making the heart sick. Yeah. But when desire is realized, it's like a right. tree of life. So, Let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, let's talk about desire being realized. What role does desire play in maintaining first love or even rekindling first love? Yes. Desire for Jesus is part of loving him. And when the Lord awakens our hearts to the knowledge of God, to, you know, we, we come into the saving knowledge of Jesus and then he causes us to taste and see of his beauty. He causes us to know him by his spirit and through his word. And as we do that, desire is awakened. You can't taste of Jesus and, and not say, I want more. And those desires are actually born of God. Um, they are the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And sometimes we experience desire and and we think that it's our aching, but the Lord not answering. 
there can be in that place of vulnerability, there can be um, some offense that can creep in when we feel like the Lord's not answering. And so I, I like to say hunger or desire is not a sign of God's absence. It's proof of his presence. And so to be desire filled for God is proof God has come. I like to imagine the Lord saying, do you think you did that? <laughs> do you think you invoked that aching? No. Mm -hmm. Left to yourself, you do not groan for God. And so desire is part of loving him. It's the part that hurts. And we don't always love that part, you know, mm -hmm. but yet you can't separate desire from love and call it love. Yeah. You know, just as if the one that you love is away and you don't miss that person, something's wrong. Right. So desire is central to love. Wow. And, and when the Lord calls us to first love, he's calling us to first desire. He's calling us to desire. And oftentimes, like the, pro the proverb we're talking about speaks of, our heart, when desire is open and then there's delay, our heart grows sick. Our heart gets tired in the waiting kind of backs away, says, well, maybe I overhoped, maybe I over-desired, hmm. and we draw back. Yeah. But I think what that verse um, speaks to is, is the fact that it is born of God and the way that it ends, uh, that desire answered is that tree of life. And it points to the fact, no, 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 you didn't start this desire, I did. Right. I originated it. And so to come back to first love and first desire is to come back to me and to the promise, I will answer it. And yeah. so then our faith is restored and our hope is restored. Yeah. Okay. So the second part of the verse, hope deferred or hope delayed makes the heart sick. So what about that? I mean, there's a lot of people that are experiencing that. The subtitle of your book is yeah. about basically keeping your passion alive in a world that's growing cold. People are becoming disillusioned with Christianity. There's this, even as Jesus talked about, you know, the love of many will grow cold. Mm -hmm. So that's right. I, I mean, I was in Australia recently and I was ministering throughout the whole nation, but I was in one city, Melbourne, which was the most locked down city in the world during the pandemic. And I was told story after story, even of believers, people that, you know, profess to really know Jesus and walk with Jesus and love him that were so overwhelmed that they ended up taking their own lives. Yeah. And what a terrible thing. So hope deferred. What would you say to people that are experiencing that heart sickness as a result of hope deferred and as it relates to first love? Yes. You know, it does come back to that conversation with Jesus. And I would say, we, we sit down with the word of God and we don't let him go until he does what he promises to do, which is to revive us, which is to cause our hearts to, to come alive, to be lifted out of the, of the fear, of the hope deferred, of the pain of, um, that comes. You know, the, the fact that it says, the heart grows sick is real, but Jesus is the great physician. And when our heart has grown sick, 
we have to come to the great physician, the healer, and say, I need you to heal my heart and to believe. I think at underneath the grown sick aspect is unbelief. Somewhere along the way, that pain of delay, the pain of trouble, circumstances, the things that have happened, our heart grows sick because of unbelief. It's, it's when we quit believing hmm. that he is who he says he is, that his word is true. And though that's a hard diagnosis, it also has hope in it. Whenever the Lord kind of brings light to areas where, you know, where I've sinned, unbelief is actually sin. It's, it's the way that we've chosen to believe our own ideas hmm. or our, what the circumstances say as louder than what he says. Hmm. And, and so when we repent of that, when we break our agreement with that unbelief, even before circumstances, even if they don't change, it's, it's we, we get, we lock arms with the Hebrews 11 great cloud and we say, I believe you. Your word is true. You are true. You are faithful and true. You are the one that can heal the heart and you can cause me to stand with Paul. You can cause me to stand with a John the Baptist, you can cause me to stand with those that overcame some of the greatest losses and the greatest troubles, and they walked in overcoming love. Hmm. And and he will. But we we do have to repent of unbelief, break our agreement with it, say yes to the truth of his word, to the truth of who he is, and watch and see what he will do with the heart in restoring that hope again. Jesus told us to go into all the world preach the gospel, and make disciples of the nations. In this digital age, we can now reach millions easily through streaming television. Position yourself before the nations by airing your content on the Kingdom Community TV Network. We're available on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Google TV, Apple TV, LG TV, Samsung TV, Apple and Android mobile devices, and at the website kingdomcommunity.tv. It's easy and affordable to air your program on KCTV. For details on how to get started, visit our website or email at support at kingdomcommunity.tv. So in the same vein, you know, we're talking about um, people dealing with real things in life, disappointment, which can lead to disillusionment, even um, so let's just talk a little bit about navigating relational pain in circumstances that have led to offense, um, being jaded, cynical, yeah. and even bitter. Yeah. You know, the first commandment is inextricably tied to the second. And I remember one time in years ago when, <laughs> you know, that connection happened where I went, oh, no, uh. if I don't walk out this relationship where there's pain and confusion, if I don't walk that out hmm. in a way that delivers my heart from the adversaries that are just waiting to take over the garden of my heart hmm. with the Lord, if I don't walk it out, you know, whether it be in the way Jesus mapped out for us in Matthew 18, yeah. the conversations that we need to have, the way that we need to keep 
wrestling and dialoguing with the Holy Spirit so that our hearts don't get locked in offense. If I don't do that, this is what occurred to me, then my heart with Jesus gets shut down as well. I cannot love Jesus with all my heart if my heart is locked toward my brother or to my, toward my sister. And so what that does is it puts us in great zeal to carefully walk out what the scripture says towards one another. And we have to first believe that it's possible. And then we actually have to do it in every relationship and in every place, whether it be betrayal, whether it be uh, just the brokenheartedness that can come in different relational circumstances, you know, whether it be even in, in places where we feel lonely because relationships have, have grown distant, all the different things, the key is that we walk them out with the Lord and with one another mm-hmm. until our hearts are freed from some of those adversaries. Right. Yeah. So good. So obviously, Dana, I mean, you're you guys serve at the International House of Prayer. You're all about prayer, intimacy, you know, the whole concept of the bride, the bridegroom. You guys are so big on that, which is awesome. It's biblical and we need that. So intimacy and 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 so important. But yet today, it seems in many places that the love of people growing cold is inextricably linked to the lack of fervency and a practice of prayer and fasting. Would you just speak into that? You know, the, the practice of prayer and fasting, I, I think that at times we kind of consider a life of prayer and a life of fasting mm. um, as, as almost like Christianity, you know, part two, you know, it's like when you're really radical and yet it <laughs> actually is Christianity 101. Okay, yeah. The Sermon on the Mount is Christianity 101. And so I believe the Lord through the word of God wants to restore Christianity to New Testament Christianity, hmm. which is given to prayer, given to fasting. Fasting is a gift it isn't something that we initially see as a gift, but once we've given ourselves, not just to, you know, every so often, every few years, but, but actually into our lifestyles, incorporating it into our weekly lifestyle, fasting is this gift that tenderizes our hearts. It causes the word of God to, to come alive to us. There's, there's gifts that the Lord gives. He says, I will reward you. When you fast, and the key is that we do it before him, that we do it out of the right motivations, which is love, desire. It's out of that intimacy. Those are the motivations. But we actually grow far more tender as we give ourselves to prayer and fasting, to the meditation on the word of God. So it's it's almost like we, we just need to understand that that really is Christianity 101 and then and then do it. <laughs> And the Lord will meet us there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about, um, you know, this whole external pressure. It's not only in the world to perform, to achieve, you know, I guess the difference between passion and ambition. 
that is self-motivated, uh, based in self-will, um, all of that kind of stuff. It's We live in a time and a season where more than ever, I think, in the church, God is shifting that in a good way. Like people are coming back to first love. As I yeah. just mentioned, as I mentioned previously, I was in Australia for two months, just got back. And we saw something so phenomenal there. You know, we lived there before. So we understand the climate, so to speak, spiritually. Yeah. But now there's this return to intimacy, this repentance, seeking God, praying and fasting, welcoming the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, so how do we deal or reject the sweeping pressure of our culture to produce and perform and embrace the call of the first commandment to really be passionate for Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I would say you just said it. I think the way, the first thing is to reorient our lives around the first commandment. Mm. Do we really believe that greatness before God is in loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we really believe that? That as you know, you go to that, real day in each of our futures when we truly will stand before him the judgment seat will he call us great based upon what he called great when he said this is the first and great commandment to love me with all that you are if that is in place in our lives and i mean trickled down to the way that we spend money the way that we spend time the way that we give ourselves to one another rooted and motivated out of that first commandment in first place. That's what he calls great. And if we understand that and then reorient our lives to that greatness, it begins to deconstruct some of what we would call great, what the world calls great, what man calls great. You know, that, that idea that man looks at the outward, but God looks at the, at the heart, I think we'll be surprised. I know we'll be surprised in the age to come hmm. at who God called great and why. And so I think we've got to do that and we've got to let the, the word of God instruct us. And then even those conversations with the Lord, here I am, God. I want to be great before you. I want to be great in your eyes. Lord, show me ways that I'm, that I'm following after a different set of motivations. Show me where I'm off course. Realign me, realign my life. God caused the first commandment to be first in my life. And that he will be faithful to lead us and, and bring us to that place where where we're reoriented to what he calls great. Yeah, That's very good. Now, um, what do you what do you think, Dana? The church is going to look like at the end of the age. I mean, I I just want your perspective, obviously biblically. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the church is going to look like, and how should that shape us in terms of our confidence, our faith, and even how we pray? Yes. Well, I'll pick two of my favorite passages. Um, I already mentioned Revelation twenty two seventeen, where the church looks like that unified 
together with one another and in unity with the Holy Spirit, crying, come Lord Jesus. And there's, there is a wealth of truths right there in that verse, in that singular verse we see. She has left all the other loves. She has broken friendship with the world. She does not delight in the world. She delights in him alone. She's come out of every tongue and tribe, which tells me, you know, in, in the places in the earth that the, are the poorest of the poor and in the places in the earth that are the wealthiest of the wealthy, each of those believers' hearts are aflame with the love of God saying, he is my treasure. He's the one I want. Wow. And out of every tongue and tribe will, will arise the witness, whether the ones that had little, the ones that had much, the ones that, you know, in, in different circumstances and different troubles, in all the, you know, con all the different ways um, and places will come forth this witness. And so I see that passage. I see Revelation 19. She is a bride that has made herself ready. She's clothed in white garments, pure and spotless, like Ephesians 5 prophesies. He will present us to himself, a yes. pure and spotless bride. And so that to me is the picture of the church at the end of the age. The key is that we insert ourselves into that storyline and believe for it and cry out for it and not be content or satisfied until we're embodying it today, wow. today. Because sometimes we just disconnect and go, oh, wow, look at what the Lord's going to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. What? I mean, that doesn't really relate to me today. Yes, it yeah. does. Yeah. That is our story. That is our future. Yeah. We have to see ourselves in the storyline and then get into that wrestle with the, with, with the Lord again over the gaps until he brings us into that place of yeah. maturity. Wow. So good. Yeah. And Ephesians four talks all about that yes. as well. And, you know, and how there is going to be the one faith, one body, there is one Lord, obviously. And then the fivefold is given to equip the church, not just to go out and do things, but to come to a place that you've just described that place of maturity, purity, uh, wholeness. And, you know, and, and as you said, the, the bride has made herself ready. So this isn't just, some eschatological thing where we we really shirk our responsibility in all this and we just say hey one day the lord is going to do this and he's going to purify the church and he's going no there's right. a place that each one of us has to enter in terms of our um collaborating with him or cooperating with him you know to to make ourselves ready and that's just such a powerful thing i know that you have had a revelation of the pruning work of God. Um, why don't you share about that? How did that help you when you really began to understand what Jesus meant when he talks about pruning us? Right. Going back to the subject of desire, desire for God and how it's born of God. Um, when our hearts get shut down in the delay or in the trouble that comes. Hmm. So often our first conclusion is what happened, God? Why did you allow this? Or, you know, what did I do wrong? And we either accuse God or we accuse ourselves, but we draw back um, from that initial believing and 
pressing and aligning ourselves to receive his love and pursue first the first commandment love. And what we don't often remember is what the writer of Hebrews told us we would forget. <laughs> it's it's the, the, the doctrine of the Lord that he chastens those he loves. He chastens those he, lo he loves. And it's actually proof of sonship. It's proof of us being a son or a daughter of him that he would chasten us. In fact, if, if we don't experience the pruning of the Lord, we should be concerned. The Lord's going, no, no, no. This is part of me loving you. The worst thing I could possibly do for you is to leave you alone. Mm -hmm. I discipline those I love. Right. So what does discipline look like? What does pruning or chastening look like? Well, it looks like real life. It looks like troubles. It looks like painful circumstances. The Lord, you know, he, he is the overseer of it all. And Satan is a contributor. The, 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 right. the sin of man, our own sin, those are contributors. Those are players. But I, I like to yeah. picture the Lord. He's over it all. He's the great sovereign. And he's leading and orchestrating and he's going to bring forth the fullness of love in our lives as we partner and say yes to him. And so instead of assuming and accusing him, instead of assuming, you know, the Lord is, has allowed this and, and he shouldn't have, or I messed up and did something wrong, let's go back to the truth that the the, I love to think of that song of Solomon passage, the banner over my life is the love of God. And yeah. he is leading my life to bring forth the greatest amount of love in the shortest amount of time, you know, even with the, the least amount of pain, but nevertheless to bring forth love. And so that banner is over my life at any given time. That's what he's seeking to produce because again, he wants to bring forth that first commandment love. This is what he calls great. This is what he calls first. Yeah. And so there will be chastening. There will be pruning. And in those times, he looks at us and he, he comes to us. And it's as though he says to us, are you still in? Are you still in it for me? Will you still open your heart? Will you still believe me? Yeah. Am I worth it? Am I worth the trouble? Am I worth the pruning? Is my friendship worth it? Is my beauty worth it? Is my love worth it? And as we see him and know him and experience him again, our hearts will say by his grace, you're worth it. I wouldn't trade it. We, we join Paul for the, for the gain of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Yeah. I consider all else loss. And that's the heart posture he wants to get us into. Yeah, that's great. You know, so many have um, basically connected their their identity to ministry, to what they do, and rather than to intimacy with the Lord. And I think during the pandemic, I, I know several um, itinerant guys in particular, not just pastors, but they traveled all over the world previously. And during the pandemic, weren't able to travel. And some of them really, really struggled. And I've got a few friends that told me, they said, hey, I had to repent because I was driven and it was all about getting into these large churches and, you know, conferences and that type of thing. And the Lord showed me during the pandemic that I had to shift to a place of intimacy with him mm -hmm. where it was all about my fellowship and, 
and communion with him. And I think about Paul, and yet no matter where he was, if he was in a prison, um, you know, he talked about his relationship with, with the Father, with Jesus, yeah. and it was all about that, just being connected to him and in communion with him. So this is such an important thing. And your book, First Love, Keeping Passion for Jesus in a World Growing Cold, why don't you tell everyone how to get a copy of your book and how to connect with your ministry, and then we'll call it a wrap. Okay, yes. Well, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Um, it's easy to find. You can find it on Amazon. That's, of course, where everybody loves to go. But wherever books are sold, you can find me and my writings, different things um, that I'm a part of on my website, danacandler.com. And I'm also on social media just at Dana Candler. And so I would love to connect with you. Oh, wow. so good. Well, Dana, really been an honor to have you on the Kingdom Community Show. Thank you so much. And uh, really looking forward to reading your book in its entirety. I've had the opportunity to glance at it, but not read it thoroughly. And uh, it's such a critical subject in this age and what we're in this season in particular. So God bless you, what you're doing in ministry, Thank your you. walk with the Lord and with your husband, Matt, as well. Thanks again for being Thank with us. Thank you. It's been a joy. Thanks for joining us today at the Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect equip and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about the kingdom community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.